0: We're we're, we're clapping here in the church. That was awesome. Fantastic, Stephanie. Thank you so much. And uh, it's a great uh, intro to our text this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 and uh, actually talking about the birth of Jesus. And over the next couple of weeks, uh, Jason and I will uh, tell different parts of the Christmas story leading up to our Christmas Eve service, which, by the way, stay tuned for details on how you can participate in our Christmas Eve service coming up. Um, It will be uh, different than our normal live stream, so if you're not on our mailing list, you're gonna miss out on this information. Uh, It'll be conducted via conferencing software so that you can actually be there with us for part of it. And uh, see some of your friends, maybe that you haven't seen in a long time. But uh, for security reasons, we can't post that information just in a public forum. We have to send it to you directly. So when we talk about filling out that Connect card and letting us know who you are, if you haven't done that, if you're not receiving our newsletter, which goes out pretty much every week in some form or fashion, if you're not seeing that, it's either because you're not on our email list or it's Landing in your spam folder. So check those two things. If you think you're on the list, go check and see. And if you're still not getting it, you need to make sure and let us know. Because without that, we won't be able to communicate with you how to connect with us kind of on our capstone event of our Christmas Eve service as we take these next few weeks to talk about the birth and the arrival of Jesus, the Advent. And so hopefully you've uh, grabbed a Bible or got your phone. You can turn with us to Luke chapter 2. And uh, we're going to start in verse 4, but I'm going to preload that a little bit. And we're taking these, each of these weeks of Advent and focusing on a different theme each week. And uh, this week, the theme is peace. Last week was joy. This week is peace. And we're going to talk about the character and nature of Christ when He came, what He offered, and what that truly means, because I think even in this season, maybe even especially in this season, the principle of peace that the Bible talks about with Jesus can be misunderstood, and I want to make sure that you uh, have a clear understanding of that and that it might give you some encouragement in this season and in the world in which we live today. So um, we see in the very beginning of this passage here, it's it's right where we left off last week, which was Mary visiting with her cousin, Elizabeth, talking about their babies, they're going to have their babies, and uh, Elizabeth being so joyful because the baby in her womb, who turns out to be John the Baptist, leaped with joy when Mary greeted uh, them in Elizabeth's house. And then we have the beautiful uh, text that we used last week, which is commonly referred to as the Magnificat, Mary's proclamation about who she understood the baby growing in her womb to be, and uh, at the end of that, we actually find that the time uh, grew near, and uh, Elizabeth had her baby. All right, so then we're here at the birth of Jesus Christ, and uh, there was a a command that went out from the king, or from the, the 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 Roman emperor, the rulers, that all of those who lived, all of the men particularly, who lived in the country of Judea, in the area, were to go back to their hometowns wherever they were born so that they could be counted for a census and therefore could be assessed taxes. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Uh, We don't have to go back to our hometowns to do that. Technology now allows them to reach us wherever we have decided to live. And so there is no escaping two things, right? Death and taxes, you can't escape either one. It wasn't so much different in Jesus' time. And Caesar Augustus, he sent this out, and uh, everybody started to do this. And the Bible says that even Joseph went up to his hometown. And that's where we pick up in verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, where he was living, from the town of Nazareth to Judea. And you'll recognize a couple of those names when you think about the stories of Jesus when he's with his disciples, the Sea of Galilee, where he calls some of his first disciples who were fishermen. Uh, We see him ministering in the region around Galilee and in Nazareth. Uh, They'll say that Jesus of Nazareth, right? Uh, We understand the one story where people are having kind of an argument about whether Jesus could possibly be not only who he says he is, but is he even anybody of value? Because they say, does anything good come from Nazareth? How good can he possibly be? And so we recognize these names and locations. And he went to the, the, the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Now, of course, we're familiar with Bethlehem because we associate that with the Christmas story. We associate that with, you know, the star arriving and shining over the manger in Bethlehem. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. That's the one that I, that's the arrangement I wrote. I can't remember how the original was. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Um, Bethlehem, by the way, you may not know, is uh, named after a a local bread company. Or maybe it's the other way around. (laughs) Bethlehem means house of bread. I don't know. It means something because Jesus is what? He's the bread of life. Uh, He is the word. Remember, we talk about that in John chapter 1 and the beginning of creation. And that we're going to hit that again here, believe it or not, in some of these texts. is going to bring us back to that theme yet again about who Jesus is, not just this character, not just this person, not just a good person, not even a great person, not even a sort of or small-time God, less than God the Father, but he is fully divine and God himself clothed in human flesh. It comes up again in these texts today, and I want you to see that truth. But here he is. He's called the Word. And when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, the the devil said to him, "What? Take these stones. I know you're hungry. You've been thirsting and fasting for, for 40 days. You must be hungry. Take one of these stones and turn it into bread. And Jesus says no, because a man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from God's mouth. Was he talking about scripture? He was. But what he's really talking about was himself, because he is the word. And man lives, truly, spiritually lives by the word that comes from the mouth of God, which is Jesus himself, the creative force. And so here we find him being born in the town called the house where the bread is. The bread of life. He's literally born there in Bethlehem. And he went there because he was of the house and lineage of David. This is one of the places in the Bible where it asserts Jesus' claim to be the rightful king of the Jews. Um, It's interesting that here, verses, I believe it's the lineage that we find in Matthew, is... Considered to be Mary's lineage. Because people go, well, it's no fair, there's no rightful claim if Joseph is, is of the lineage of David, because the Bible teaches us that he's not the biological father of Jesus, that this was a miraculous birth, that God did this on his own, miraculously. And so his bloodline to Joseph doesn't matter. And you go, well, fine, then, let's look at his mother's bloodline. And we find that that also traces back to the lineage of David. And so, he went there, it says then, in the next verse, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, means they were promised to be married, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. It's the very familiar story, Right? Every nativity, like the one that we have here on the table, is set around this story with some of the other accompanying characters that we'll meet in the next couple of weeks angels and shepherds and wise men. There in his swaddling clothes. If you don't know what swaddling clothes are, if you've, if you've had a baby or you've been around babies very much, uh, you know that one of the things newborns really like is to be wrapped up like a burrito. Uh, and there's an art to it, really, with those little baby blankets that you can learn, you can develop. And uh, many, many babies, and our boys were definitely like this, the tighter you could get it, the better they liked it. Uh, because it reminds them of being safe, being in the womb, and, and not this, this whole thing of having freedom of arms to move and air, this is weird, this takes some adjusting. And so here's Jesus, a baby, just like you and I were born into the world, into a new experience, experiencing this for the first time in human flesh. And Mary did the same thing all those thousands of years ago that mothers do every day here still on planet Earth. She took that baby, cleaned him up, comforted him, and wrapped him like a burrito, tucked him together. So we find these familiar elements in the story But we, of course, get to see, like we talk about often, with that hindsight 2020 vision. And we know a lot of what's going to happen. But as I reminded you a few weeks ago, when we think about this idea of Advent and this longing for Emmanuel to come, thousands of years and and hundreds and hundreds of generations have wept and begged God for the Messiah to arrive. They've developed ideas about how he's going to arrive, that he might come from the clouds with power and a sword, or that he might come and become a great political ruler and strike down all those who have oppressed God's people. All different ways of thinking about who this Messiah is going to be and how he's going to appear when he arrives. And most people probably didn't picture it this way. And then we begin to deal with what were their expectations of him. Even then, if they buy this story, if they, if they come to, and many did, right? Many began to believe immediately. Even before Jesus began his ministry 30 years later and revealed himself fully to the people around him, people began to believe already. We see by the time he's 12 years old, he's in the temple with grown men teaching them about the scriptures. In fact, it's, he's so good at it that, that the crowd is so large. One day, him and his mom, or, you know, Joseph and Mary, mom and dad, are there in the market doing their business. Jesus is along. And then they travel all the way back home, quite a ways away, and then realize that Jesus isn't with them. I've never done anything like that. And it, if Christopher were here, he would tell you, oh, yes, you have, Dad. Uh, I've left him here after Sunday church and gotten home and went, where's Christopher? <laughs> he's, he's still at the church. Um, but they go back and they find him in the temple with the rabbis gathered around listening to what he's teaching. And so already he's he's being taken note of. And it begins in the stories over the next couple of weeks, the moment that he's born. There are some who have anticipated and waited. And when he arrives, they see the miracle of the moment and they begin to understand how this fulfills the prophecies of the old testament that promised the messiah and that this is the one but then begins the struggle of seeing the circumstance in front of them and then trying to figure out with all the other things that the bible says what does this really mean what is this going to look like. And since we're talking about peace today, because that's the emphasis of this Advent weekend, I want to take you back to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to skip around to a couple of different places, which we don't do often. We like to land in the text and, and kind of flesh it out, you know, dig out what's in there. But we're working on this concept of peace today, and I think we will still treat the text with the respect that it deserves because there's something about this concept of peace that we as believers in the world today need to understand to appropriately honor the peace that Christ brings. And so we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 9 verses 2 through 6, famous passage, many of you have probably heard it, it's one of my favorites, and there's definitely a part of this that you've probably heard even if you haven't heard it as scripture, you've heard it as music especially at this time of year. All right, so it says this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian, for every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Now we're going to stop right there. This sounds pretty dramatic, doesn't it? You can see why some people thought that the Messiah was going to come in with great fanfare and with great uh, war and conflict against those who oppress to the people of God, because this, this language is, is pretty artistic that way. It's pretty, it's, it, it's pretty dramatic. And then, this incredibly well-known passage gives us some qualities of who this is going to be. So remember, he says, all of this is going to, to happen. This, this light is going to pierce the darkness and accomplish these things... And here is what that will look like, and here's how that will arrive. And it's the next verse, verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Now, immediately, when you start thinking about, you know, the graves of the enemies are going to be overturned and their blood is going to be burned in the fire, and all of a sudden, you're like, a-, a kid? This is the plan? And God says, yes, this is the plan. Because as we also know, Scripture says that God's ways are not what? Our ways. And this is something we bump into all the time in our lives, right? Um, and, and, it's, and it's not an indictment. It's not, a, it's not a shaming kind of thing. It's just how we are as people. We struggle to think with a godly mindset sometimes because we're, we're clothed in this fleshly vessel. This is one of the reasons why Christ came in this way was to show us that we could live a more godly life in this earthen vessel, that it's possible. We won't be perfect, but we can be perfected, right? It's the process of sanctification, becoming more holy As time goes by and as the presence and influence of Christ increases in our lives from the inside out. It's not about being good. It's not about acting good. It's about becoming righteous from the inside out. So for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Now still... People are going, ah, ah, see, see, okay, it's a kid, but he's still going to be a political figure. He's going to be a big man. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And still, as we try to unpack this, we start to think, okay, all right, um... Mighty God, I get that. It's the Messiah, right? Okay. I understand mighty God. I've got some example of him in the oldest scriptures that we have, the the scriptures that they had at the time and understood, the, the Torah, the Old Testament. Everlasting Father. Okay, yep, I get that. I get that. Wonderful Counselor. Yes, he is... He's our counsel. He's our guide. He's from the wisdom and prince of peace. And they're like, yes, he's going to crush everybody who's been our enemy. I love it. And then there will be peace. A lot of people thought that way. And you can't blame them. You can't blame oppressed people for getting tired of being oppressed and then be mad that they're tired of being oppressed. Oppressed. That might be a word for our modern times, but I'm just going to leave it there and you can figure it out. (laughs) But here's God's people. They've been under the thumb of someone else's government and rule for generations. And as far as most of them know, there's no end in sight, but there's hope for a Messiah. And so we get to that last one because we're focusing on peace today, the Prince of peace. The prince of peace. That's good. I'm hearing myself preach. That's awesome. That's good. <laughs> technology is so good. We're so thankful. We're, we're so thankful. We're, never mind. For technology, um, we are, honestly. It's a great gift. Sometimes it makes us laugh. So this peace, what kind of peace are we talking about? And the reason I think this is so often misunderstood, we... Um, We sing Silent Night, which we will do in a few weeks. And uh, we were going to highlight these verses, and I dropped the ball on this part, Jason. Sorry to ruin your plan. It was a great plan. Um, Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant so tender and mild. Sleep in heavenly peace. Sleep in heavenly peace. Peace. It's in the first verse of that beautiful beautiful song, that Christmas carol, and we see the whole world, this is, I don't know, I just find this interesting, I I don't mind it, but I try to take opportunities to speak into people's lives when I see it, you know, we talk about the commercialization of Christmas, Uh, you and I have friends, you out there, you have friends, family, family, Maybe you work in a business. That is not, they are not really in any form or fashion living a life that acknowledges the presence or person of Jesus Christ, and yet, Christmas is a big deal. I I find that interesting. I'm not really sure why it is. You can't blame it just on commercialism. But you understand what I'm saying. There are a lot of people who really get excited about and enjoy celebrating Christmas while not actually acknowledging that the word itself is the, means the celebration of the Christ. It's the mass of Christ. It's the acknowledgement of him and who he is and his purpose. But what we do find is that those who embrace and celebrate this holiday along with us, who really revere the core of it, Jesus Christ, they also embrace so many of the values that we as believers want them to embrace and we want to embrace, like joy and love and peace. But here's where the, the problem comes. We talk about this a lot in our Christian discipleship. Joy, as a Christian understands it, is not the same as happiness as we would understand it. Because we know that happiness is based on circumstances, and our joy as Christians is based on who God is. And that we can trust him for every single thing and depend on him even when the wheels come off. Love. I I love all of you. Love Jason. Fair to say best friend over there. 31 years, did you say? 31? 31 years we've been doing ministry together. What a, I love it. I love this guy. Love my wife. She's at home today. I don't know if she's watching right now. She's been having some vertigo issues, if you've ever had that, it's just, it's awful, and it comes and goes, and trying to figure that out, and so she just hasn't been up to 100%, and I know she wanted to be here today, she wanted to sing, she gets so much joy out of that, because it's her expression to the Lord, right, I mean, I love her. And, and I love her differently than I love you. I love her differently than I love my best friend. My boys are at home. Man, do I love those guys. Man. But when we're talking about the love of God, we're talking about something different even than those. Our love and our joy on this earth and even happiness is a shadow of what God has and offers, but it's not the same, and the same is true for peace. Because it's not just when he says the prince of peace and we think in worldly terms of peace, we think of no more wars. From our, from our lips to God's ears. We would, oh, we would desire no more war. We think of no more conflict among families. and. No more division in our country. However you want to apply it, the ideas of peace, and all of those are within the idea of God's peace, but they're shadows, and there's a fundamental reason why some of those things don't come to pass. And it's because the way that God offers peace is fundamentally different than what we think of as people. Let me show it to you. Go with me to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, and this might initially be a confusing verse. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. Time out! Check swing! What are you talking about, Jesus? Didn't you know what your name is? I mean, we know you're Jesus. Yeshua, Emmanuel, God with us. Wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, Jesus, the Prince of Peace. What gives? Look at those words again. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. And at first glance, one of these texts is a liar. It's a fair assessment. Until we understand what he's saying. Now he goes on to say... For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, and a daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law, and, and a person's enemies will be the, those of his own household. He, he kind of throws this blanket thing out there. He says, look, people are going to be upset with each other. People are going to be at odds with each other, and it's going to seep into households and family, family relationships. And this doesn't sound fun at all. But the key word in all of this text that Jesus is saying, because Jesus knows who he is, and he is indeed the prince of peace, but he did not come to make peace among the inhabitants of the earth. He came to make peace between you, a sinful human being, and God, a perfect righteous being. Now, we don't like to hear that kind of message, many of us, because we like to think of the idea of God just being all accepting. God's unconditional love, that, by the way, parse that for a moment. Is His love given unconditionally, offered unconditionally? It absolutely is not <laughs> No no it is not it is is it universally available it is is it universally received it is not because i always think of jim jesus said i am the way the truth the life no one comes to the father except through me so for anyone who comes through jesus god's love is unconditionally available but the condition is through Jesus. And this is why the Prince of Peace did not come to bring universal peace to the earth. That's not his mission. It was not to overturn and upset governments. It was to bring individual peace between you and the God who loves you, but with whom you have a broken relationship because of, Of sin in your life. That's Isaiah 59, 2. Your sins have separated you from God so that he cannot hear you. And that's the problem that has to be resolved. And that's the peace that Jesus came to offer was peace between you and God. And sometimes the reason that we don't have that peace is found in James chapter 4. It's very simple, um, and it ties right in with Matthew chapter 10, the one that we just wrote. So remember, we took a trip here. It's the birth of the Messiah. People have all these expectations. Those expectations come from, for instance, the book of Isaiah chapter 9. He will be these things, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Yay, we love that. And then Jesus comes along and says, let's talk about that peace. I did not come to bring peace to the earth. I came to bring peace between you and God. And the problem where we don't enjoy that peace is found in James chapter 4, verse 4. You adulterous people. Now, in this text, he's not talking about people who have affairs with one another, like we think of adultery. He's saying, though you love something else in place of God. This is, this is God's voice speaking through the writer. You adulterous people, you have replaced your love for God with someone or something else. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever. You're good. I'll pick it up here. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's That's the core of the problem. Why don't we experience this peace universally? Because universally, the world is not a friend of God, they're a friend of the world. Why do we not experience this peace in our lives as believers all the time? Because sometimes we take up relationships with worldly things, with the way the world thinks, with the way the world behaves, all of those things. And it's not about actions. It's not about, um, oh, you swear you can't have peace. Or, oh, you have a drink of wine, you can't have peace. That's not it. It's about what's happening here in the heart. That when, when God calls us, to think and have our minds operate in a holy fashion, that righteousness that I spoke about, then instead we choose in our inner being to be someone else in our thinking, in our believing. And it causes us to end up valuing anything other than God. And if we value anything other than God, more than God, in any area of our life, we are putting ourselves at war with God, and we're we're challenging that peace that he wants us to bring. This is why Jesus said, be careful thinking that you want to be my disciple, because if you want to be my, my disciple, you must daily... Lay down your life, take up your cross, and follow me. Everything about the call of Christ to us asks us to give ourselves over to the rulership and leadership of Christ. And if we find ourselves in our lives not enjoying the peace that he's promised... I can guarantee you that at the root of it is that we have decided in some way, some form, some fashion in who we are and what we believe to make friends with worldly things or the world instead of the things of God. And it is a constant struggle. This is why Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you must daily lay down your life, take up your cross, and follow me. Jesus understood that it wouldn't be easy and that we'd mess it up That's the beauty of God's grace, is that he understands we won't get it right 100% of the time, and he offers us grace for that. But what I don't want to do, and what I don't want you to do as a believer, I don't want you to rest on God's grace and say, well, I'm messing it up all the time, but it's no big deal. God's grace has got me covered. In fact... uh, There's scripture that talks about that too, says, uh, should we, if grace is so awesome, should we sin more so that grace looks even more awesome? And the answer immediately in the text is no, may it never be. It cheapens God's grace when we do that. We strive to live holy because he's made us holy. He offers us grace for when we mess it up. But if we want to enjoy the full, abundant life that Jesus told us we could have here on this earth, our pursuit should be to be at peace with God in all areas of our life. And so in this Advent season, as we approach Christmas Eve, that's what I call you to, that's what I call myself to do, is be at peace. Find peace with God in your life. Allow him to seek out and to search out areas where you're, you're, you're button heads. You're friends with the world more than you are the friends with what God wants. And see if God be- can begin to move in you. If, you. if you acknowledge it, if you identify it, God can begin to transform your thinking, which is true repentance, to think about the way that you think about things. And that thinking can change. As a, as a person is, as a man is in their heart, the Bible says, so is he. So allow God to begin to make changes in you. Ask him to identify places in you and areas in you where you need to be transformed, and then allow him to do it. Amen? All right, I'm going to pray for us and ask the worship team to come back. We're just to sing one more song together. We have a closing video today, and excited to share that with you. If for some reason it gets cut off early, you can find the link in the YouTube description, I think, I'm pretty sure. And uh, Miss Jan has it, she will include it in the chat. And I wanna say again, thank you so much for being with us today, thank you for joining us. I love you all, stay safe, wash your hands, do all the good things that you can do, and I pray the Lord will uh, be with you and bless you in this time. All right, let me pray. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause the light of his face to shine upon you and turn his countenance towards you and give you indeed peace but Lord not a peace that the world offers we don't want that we want the peace that you say that you can give us that peace that passes all of our understanding a peace that that remains and flourishes even in the most difficult and strangest of circumstances Lord that the world even would look at and and honestly be incredulous that that it's a peace that they could have too. So, Lord, work in us to honor that. And then also give us opportunities to share it with others, especially maybe during this time, this season. And, uh, Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Okay. Oh,